Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. This just in, they call me Ben, you are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. And we're broadcasting today from an active tornado zone. No kidding. Yeah, tensions are high in the office right now. People are staying away from windows. It's kind of fun and scary. Thankfully, the podcast studio is a tiny windowless box, so we are actually in the safest possible location for this ordeal. Actually, yeah, except we we do have two windows. Well, I was just trying to, I never let the facts stand in the way of a good story, Ben. And also, you're right, these are interior windows, they're not exterior, which is totally different. Uh, so I, I would say that that still passes as factual. But yes, the rumors are true. Tornadoes were, uh, cited. Tensions already running high in the office are amplified by our meteorological circumstances. Speaking of not letting the facts stand in the way of a good story, what are we talking about today? Yeah, I was going to ask as a way of lead in, where do you, uh, we're talking about news. Uh, where do you guys go for your news? You're two of the smartest people I know. Apparently, my method of getting news is flawed, which we'll talk about today, but I get it from the Facebook feed. I subscribe to things, and um, I kind of find that it, the things that I want to read pop up pretty often, and I don't really have a problem with it, and I don't really have to venture much farther than my, my Facebook feed. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's in the car, generally, so listening mm-hmm. to National Public Radio or Georgia Public Broadcasting mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, or various subreddits. Yeah. So essentially social media. I guess that's what Reddit is. Yeah. Uh, world news, news. There are so many of them. 
I do a lot of uh, scrying myself, uh, goat entrails, stuff like that. Yeah. Can be a little bit vague. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of a, a lot of internet news. Like most people in our generation, I tend to get a lot of news online. I don't currently, I was subscribed to The Economist, uh, which got a little bit expensive for my taste. Uh, and I do, and I do read, um, print when I don't think they'll run me out of the, uh, news agents or the Barnes and Noble. But, if you are like most people, uh, then you also get your news from some form of social media. And I would argue, I would argue that Reddit counts as a form of social media. I think it is. I don't know if it's, it's if like it's a really elaborate forum, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we have some statistics. So it's not just, you know, the three of us talking about this. We have some statistics from the Pew Research Center about how news watching breaks down in percentages over the U.S. population. Well, to begin with, 62% of United States adults get their news from social media, and that's all of them. That could be Facebook, that could be Twitter, whatever you're using. Friendster. Yeah, insert your favorite app here. And 18% of of that population does this on a frequent basis. I mean, for me, the Facebook feed is crack. I mean, it's, I'm sad to say it, but I, I look and refresh that thing, even knowing that nothing new is going to come up. It's a, it's quite a compulsion I share with, I think, many others in my generation. I'm not proud of it, yeah. but for the, our purposes here, I'm willing to uh, come clean. You're an honest man. And you know what? I, I will also follow your lead here. Uh, I was lying earlier. I get most of my news from Tinder. And it's well, hard. Well, yeah, yeah, because you can't read the whole story unless you swipe the headline. You right. realize those are all bots, right, Ben? <laughs> well, they do have a lot of uh, they do have a lot of bot related news. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where else to go with this joke. So let's go to 2012 when pollsters used a slightly different question uh, than the Pew Research Center used, and then they found that 49% of adults reported seeing news on social media other than getting it. Yeah, just it. seeing it. Oh, it was there, I'm pretty sure. Right, which is a little bit weaselly. Uh, since Facebook is the largest social site, it reaches uh, slightly more than two-thirds of U.S. adults. It means that the Facebook users who get news there equals about 44% of the population. So almost half of the population is getting news from Facebook. 59% of Twitter users do that, and 31% of Tumblr users. And we should also mention uh, YouTube here, because that's one of the places where where we thrive. And that reaches about 48% of the U.S. population but only about one-fifth of the viewers on YouTube uh, say they get news from that site, which makes it about 10% of the U.S. population overall, so quite a bit smaller. And that was surprising to me. I feel like I end up watching a lot of news on YouTube. Well, you're, you're an exceptional person. Well, I think I'm just, I think we're on there all the time just mm-hmm. because of our job. So maybe yeah. I see it more. You just sit there and watch your own videos all day, don't you, Matt? Yeah, I get my own news from me. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. What's interesting here though is there isn't a whole lot of overlap, which, which is interesting, but to me, not that much of a stretch. A majority of people, 64%, get their news from only one site. But like I said at the top of the show, I think for a lot of people, that one site is like an aggregator, like Facebook, right, or where you, know, you might be looking at 
things within that site, but it's all content from other sources that then being pulled together into this singular feed. And sometimes there'll be versions of something that exists in other places that's tailored just for that Facebook experience. So you are still getting your news from other sources. It mm-hmm. just happens to be pulled together in this one like mega site that, as we're going to talk about, gives a lot of power to certain people. Right. And that's an excellent point about aggregation. So one thing that I don't really care for in the world of print readers is people who will say, well, I, you know, I have a subscription to the New York Times. I'm not the sort who gets their news from the Internet or Facebook, because Facebook is not necessarily bad in that way. You know, uh, like you could subscribe to the BBC page and the Al, Al Jazeera page and and whatever other media you want. And you would get you could probably get or hopefully in theory, get these opposing viewpoints. And you can always visit their pages to see what they've published about a thing. Right. And that doesn't I, I think it's unfair for people to automatically um, dismiss that as a legitimate source of getting news, especially when darn near half of the U.S. population does that primarily, mm-hmm. you know? But what happens when you see that sponsored post that pops up and says, Donald Trump gives birth to devil baby? Right. Oh, oh. What, do you, what do you do then? Well, uh, I would say the first part is to check uh, the sources, make sure you knew where you were nine months ago or how long it ever that gestation takes. <laughs> Just in case, I mean, just like list the contingencies. But, uh, Noel, you raise a really great point because not all of these news sources are created equal, even if they seem to be displayed equally in a news feed. And uh, of course, I was being a little bit over the top with that headline, but, uh, in that same little sponsored spot, you may well see a headline that has some seems to have some merit or maybe it even aligns with an opinion that you already have mm-hmm. and you kind of coming from that place where you want to believe it. You maybe even want to share it without checking into its veracity. Of course, you've got stuff to share. You're, you're moving and sticking in the uh, in the ever hungry world of social media. You don't have time to do the uh, the source research uh but just in case you do, let's go ahead and lay out what what are the basic rules of research. We've talked about before, quick and dirty version. You guys know, I know, always verify source information, multiple sources if possible. It doesn't matter if just the Washington Post or uh, the Denver Citizen or whatever said something happens. See if other places, preferably with typically opposing perspectives, also have the same thing. Learn about the source presenting the information, like, uh, Noel, the devil baby thing, uh, who, who published it, if that comes out? Uh, Weekly World News. Weekly World News, right? So, Weekly World News, no one's saying it's a bad paper. They have a bit of an agenda, right? Most places have a bit of an agenda, uh, and, you know, look for sources that claim to disprove the info you're examining. That's the most difficult mm-hmm. part for a lot of us, right? Uh, and if I'm convinced that something is real, like if if I'm convinced the Simpsons will objectively be the best cartoon in human history or that Arkansas was originally pronounced Arkansas, then what I should be doing is looking for someone who believes The Simpsons was objectively the worst 
cartoon in history and then uh, looking for someone who believes there was always Arkansas and asking them why they think that. But that's a very hard thing to do because it means that we are escaping our bubble and escaping the bubble was once the, uh, once the prized skill set of, um, a dying, a dying race of humanity called investigative journalist. Whoa. I've seen those in a museum once, I think. Member, member journalists, <laughs> member. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> We've probably heard people lament the death of journalism and while it's not completely extinct, it's certainly in poor health. Yeah. Um, when I was a journalism minor back in school, newspapers were seen still as the hallmarks of what journalism could and should be. Integrity. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I- integrity, truth, being objective, finding finding the facts and leaving out opinions. One of the things we try really hard to do on this show. But guess what, guys? Those newspapers... They're going away, at least the print versions and the jobs of journalists. They are nowhere near as secure as they once were. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we have some statistics on this as well. So compared with print, nearly twice as many adults um, get news online. And that's 38 percent of adults, either from news websites or apps like a proprietary, you know, app version of The New York Times, for example. Mm-hmm. It's 28 percent on social media. It's 18 percent or both. And, you know, one of the big, really big problems with these online versions of newspapers is that I just experienced it before we came in here. I looked at 10 New York Times articles this week, and now I can't look at any more New York Times articles unless I subscribe. Same thing with the Washington Post. Uh, and well, why don't you just subscribe? Well, I know, and I should subscribe, and I keep thinking I should just subscribe. But thinking about giving a dollar a month or, you know, whatever tiny amount it is, it's hard for me to... To justify that when I can get roughly the same thing from free sources somewhere else. I'm just internet. playing devil's advocate here, but I mean, to me, it's just a matter of like, it's too much. Like, uh, what am I going to get a subscription to the, the times and the post? And like, when I can get it all from like an aggregator mm-hmm. or like get the high points from different, uh, different sources, like we talked about, like with Facebook right. and, you know, um, Twitter. Yeah. There's a pattern that occurs, uh, when, People are when people are getting something online. Let's just be frank. It's the the idea is there's all this other free stuff that purports to have this information. Why should I pay for Article Eleven? Just like you said, no one. You know, there's another place probably that I can find basically the same thing. And one of those big ones is, of course. Television, which yeah. I can't believe we haven't talked about yet. Turn that news on. Yeah, I mean, especially with some of the bombast that was being thrown around on TV news uh, during this most recent election, the ratings are up for TV news, and it continues to be the most widely used news platform, with 57% of United States adults getting TV-based news, either from local TV, uh, cable, or network television, uh, or some combination of the three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that pattern emerges when people are asked not just where they get news, but what kind of platform they prefer. So TV is still at the top. Uh, despite all the, the cord cutting that's happening, TV just had such a lead that it's just less in the lead, but it's still number one. I wonder how they, how they count streaming a TV news, like a network TV news. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge disaster because who gets responsibility for the numbers or maybe a quagmire is a better word for it. <laughs> yeah. And then second will be the web. 
radio and print are trailing behind. The one thing that's really saving radio would be online radio, of which podcasts are a part, mm. arguably. And then, you know, the fact that most cars have a radio that plays free broadcast stuff inundated with commercials, right? Yes. Or in NPR's case, today was brought to you by this organization and our listeners. So what's replacing journalism then? That's, that's the thing that you've probably heard a lot about in the news recently, right? Facebook got dinged for it. Uh, various people purporting to be reputable organizations got dinged for it. What is fake news? And we'll get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. 
from iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy, but not really, because what do we mean when we say fake news? It's like news that's fake. Yep. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. So so we live in a world now where everyone is battling to get your eyeballs and your fingers to click on a tiny little section of a screen somewhere. That's that is the major battleground in our world right now. How do I get you to click my thing? That's online. Gosh, that sounds dirty. Yeah, click my thing. <laughs> but it's not. It's just click my thing that's online.com. Well, it's cl- it's literally click my picture that has a couple of words below it, right? Yeah. That's all it is. Ooh, click me. Yeah. And and because what happens then is if you do click on that, somebody gets paid somewhere down the line just for you viewing that and clicking on that. Because of the ads that will be adjacent to that or will pop up on there. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is that when everything is kind of crammed into this format, like a Facebook feed, for example, everything's kind of exists side by side. Mm -hmm. So things tend to visually kind of carry the same weight. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you see exactly, if you see like uh, a news feed that has, you know, um, maybe – CNN or BBC or New York Times or what, like Scientific American or, or something like that. And then, uh, in the economist and then you see sandwiched in between them, there's something for like, you know, stopthewelsh.org. And it's <laughs> like, it's like, you know, the sheep genocide continues unreported in Wales. And like, then, oh man, I got to click on that. And especially if people already have something against the Welsh or yeah, I guess this is a bad example, <laughs> but then, you know, it's just like Noel said, it has kind of the same credibility that there's like a, um, an osmosis of credibility that occurs when you see these things displayed in the same format on the same page, Absolutely, which with only an icon separating them. So we've, we've seen this, um, in there, there's a great article in a place called Vox, which I'm sure if you like this show, you've heard of Vox, uh, where they, they report on what's called the fake news problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a big thing that, and it popped up quite recently, but it's a practice that, you know, as you point out before, Matt, is, is old. It's so much, it's older than the internet, you know, and Mark Zuckerberg originally said, well, Less than 1% of the content on the site could be called fake news or a hoax. You know, uh, the devil baby stuff is a very, is a very small minority, but pundits uh, and 
self-appointed policy wonks and experts are raising cane about it because they are convinced, some of them, that it, it, it directly influences people's opinions by exploiting their reasoning ability and their solid psychological science behind how you could get your rational thoughts sort of circumvented. But let's be honest, the reason they're saying that is because of the election in the U.S. Yes, it was a big deal in the election because you could be a third party site that doesn't actually have news, but has some story that you want to tell and you can buy an ad. Let's say for Facebook, if we use that as the example, and what Zuckerberg's talking about, Mm -hmm. you pay enough money into Facebook, then your your fake news or your whatever it is your ad is going to go out to X number of people. And it's usually in the thousands, if not tens of thousands or more. And so let's say you happen to hit the one in five people who say they change their political views due to social media. Mm. Then what happens is, uh, what happens is maybe, maybe an article comes out that says candidate a is responsible for the, uh, the double homicide being covered up of a FBI agent and their spouse. And the problem is for people who read the article that it turns out, uh, this place only posts bad things about candidate A and then the weather that they pulled from another site. Sure. And that, uh, it turns out the, uh, homicides, uh, weren't homicides in, because you can't actually kill fictional characters and the FBI people or the FBI family never existed. But for people who see that, they go, Oh wow, I don't want to support this kind of thing. Then that's, that's the argument. And I'm not, I'm not even applying it specifically to this election. I'm saying Mm -hmm. the argument there is that people can be so easily swayed because our analytical and our emotional parts of our brain don't work very well at the same time. It was interesting to me about uh, the way Zuckerberg reacted. Um, it was kind of a too little, too late kind of scenario where, you know, it's clear that these fake news sites did gain some traction on Facebook. And, you know, while it's not clear that they necessarily played a huge discerning part in the outcome of the election, there's no doubt that it was a tool used by some. And, you know, Facebook and Google in the past have basically shut down sites and types mm-hmm. of sites from using their ad service for much less, you yeah. know, for, for supposedly having quote unquote, you know, low quality content or right. like some of these click farms that have kind of like they just farm out a bunch of writers to write these kind of little short clickbaity articles that give you like, like 10 ads to half a paragraph per page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Facebook and uh Google have changed their algorithms to kind of deal with those sites. It just is, is baffling to me that it took after the election for them to actually do something about this. Because there's a lot of money involved there for Facebook. I just have to say that. Right. They're, they're getting ad dollars. Right. They're, they're getting ad dollars using, of course, your personal information. And the, the, the strange thing is, yeah, Google did some good work to restrict what they would consider that. Uh, what, what did you, what term did you use, Noel? I really liked it. Uh, low quality or low value. Just low, yeah. I mean, low quality content. I guess in terms of like it being not particularly robust in its uh, scholarship. Let's yeah, say. yeah. Here's uh, here's a little bit, little bit behind the scenes inside baseball and some of this stuff. So uh, the phrase that we used earlier there, the, the click farm, uh, is just like was described. Uh, 
bunch of ads on a page that has a short amount of text or actual information and has 10 steps. What got me, and I'll go ahead and say it, although I don't usually mention specific names on here, it's like those eHow articles, man, where where they'll have this very strange thing that you don't really need uh, information on, like how to uh, how to tie your shoes five different ways. <laughs> but then there are twenty. I'm making this example up, by the way. But then there are twenty five slides, and every fifth one is just an advertisement, not counting the ads are on the page, which refresh. Every time you click to the next page. Which refresh continually, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's there's a clear financial motivation for this for some people, but also that financial motivation is in competition with a site like Google, which wants to be known for giving you the best answer, right, uh, in the most efficacious way. However, that as as we see, this ability to control what search generates is very much a, a ring of power situation. Well, before we get to that, what are what are people when when we hear the phrase fake news? What are these people talking about? What what are the categories of fake news? So I've seen this summed up and parsed out by several different sources, but one that was a little surprising was uh, to see that CNN made a little list of the different types. So let's go through let's go through that list as an example. The first one would be called fake news. Straight up fake news. Yep. Uh, fake news. Um, Jonathan Strickland and Josh Clark discovered, uh, at a, uh, KKK rally disguised as, uh, jackalopes. Whoa. That, I want to click on that. Uh, but it's, it's, these are the easiest to debunk because they're just obviously, from some kind of sham site, it's designed to look like a real news outlet, but then if you do a little more digging, um, you just find that there's there's nothing here. There's going to be misleading photographs, some kind of headline that just makes you dive headfirst into that thing. Uh, it's, you know, at first read, it sounds like it could be real, right? With a lot of this fake news. And the name might sound similar, might sound something like it could be plausible, you know, like the... um Let's just make one up like the Gwinnett Picayune or something. Sure. Yeah. You know, and that, that's not a real paper. I hope. Oh, a- editorial staff of Gwinnett Picayune. I apologize if I <laughs> have offended you. But yeah, so that's, that stuff's pretty, pretty easy. And then they might have, uh, mis, misleading paragraph or photographs, but they're also designed not to be read in their entirety. Yes. It's designed to, Hey, look at this, share it. Like, mm-hmm. do you see this uh, picture that's mm-hmm. a little misleading? Do you see this catchy title? Share it out with your friends right now. Yeah. And then maybe there's a um, – and then there's a second category, which would be misleading news. This is a little bit trickier to to parse, uh, as you said, Matt, because this we could be something as simple as an out-of-context quote. And oddly enough, this happens a lot in fandom when people are trying to – farm out spoilers for their clickbait mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but one example, uh, if we're, if we're just making one up, one example would be maybe Tom Cruise is in a, a daytime talk show interview. And in his daytime talk show interview, he says that, uh, he would never, um, 
never tell a woman what to do with her body as far as like carrying a child to term or having an abortion. And then some place, you know, that names itself the Gwinnett Picayune or whatever. And again, guys, <laughs> oh I hope you're not real. But if if you are, I apologize. Um, I'm sure you would never do this. But, you know, some fake news site uh, would take the context quote, the phrase would never and have that in quotation marks. And, and it goes, Tom Cruise says he would never save an innocent child's life, you know, and that's not what he said. He said he wouldn't get, you know, in the way of somebody else's decision. Also, celebrities don't have the authority to tell people what they can do. There's an interesting twist on that where there are like localized versions of fake news stories. I don't know if you guys have seen these, but um, speaking of the Gwinnett Picayune, maybe there's a story that comes up as from GwinnettPicayune.co.biz and it says Miley Cyrus um, helped a poor stranded old lady change her tire in Madison, Georgia, decides that she's going to move there because it's just full of wonderful people. So mm-hmm. you'll see that article, yeah. and if you Google the text of it, you'll realize there's 15, 20 other different ones that have all the same content, but the places are changed. So everyone wants to share, oh, my gosh, Miley Cyrus is moving to my community. Mm-hmm. You know, and so everyone will just share that blindly. And those are the kinds of stories where you'll see on Facebook someone comments and say, you know, this is fake, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people are so excited because they want to believe that their, you know, pop star crush or whatever is moving to little sleepy old Madison, Georgia. That mm-hmm. reminds me of another example, just the, the straight up clickbait that's just trying to get you to click on something. But f- to what end? For what means? I guess it's just getting those ad dollars. Uh, experts hate them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the most, oddly enough, one of the most effective, don't click on this. <sighs> I was so happy I saw some stranger on the internet who had replied in a don't click on this thread and their reply was say was okay. (laughs) And that was great. It's for the like the people who hear our intro on the show and decide to turn back. Yeah. You know, which has happened. And I respect your integrity. Uh so another thing would be highly partisan news. And this is, you know, interpretation of a real news event where the facts are manipulated to fit in a particular agenda. Yeah, omitting facts or adding in a little extra opinion somewhere. Or cherry picking, mm-hmm. you know. Here's what you have to do now. You have to figure out, is this fake news? The the article that you're reading that has the list? What's, what's, the, what's the website? Right? We're getting a little too meta here. No, this is, no, this is what we are struggling with are we real people that's what i mean you guys are you guys are freaking me out should we take an ad break so i don't totally lose it all right you get it together we got, we'll we be have, back we have one more thing and then we'll have an ad break okay satire well i love satire that's like the onion and stuff well yeah exactly it's fun it's the onion but we've seen examples where an onion article gets posted perhaps internationally by another country sure Yeah, and people believe it. So one of my favorite examples is that Joe Biden is a legend on (laughs) The Onion because of the way they portrayed him. He is a legend, and he is everyone's Uncle Joe. (laughs) They portrayed him as this uh, burnt-out, you know, uh, former, like, rock-and-roll roadie, concert roadie type. And 
they have all these articles about him trying to do things like get Scorpion tickets or sell in bad weed yeah. or bootleg Hillary Clinton campaign T-shirts. And one of these articles, I saw somebody who had posted it as though it were true, and people who agreed with them were like, can you believe that that's the guy who's in office? Like, I you know, like our founding fathers would be rolling over their <laughs> graves. And so I commented, and, you know, I said, this is a fake news website it's pretty funny it's supposed to be funny yeah Mm -hmm. and i was i was saying like yeah look man i wish joe biden was doing stuff like that but he's probably doing more grown-up things yeah i don't know if you guys remember these it seems like i've been seeing fewer of them recently but there were a lot of fake news sites making the rounds that kind of purported to be satire Mm -hmm. but were really just kind of poorly written fake news stories with some kind of punny name somewhere in the yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. But like it was, you know, a story that could be believed and was written in such a way where where's the comedy? There's there's really not much comedy going on here. Right, right. W- one thing that reminds me of, and this is related, is uh, the prevalence of reality shows and things that purport to be accurate depictions of uh, one person's life or a certain moment or event or phenomenon and are clearly, clearly faked, or as people in the industry like to call them, produced. Mm-hmm. I'm loving these air quotes, by the way. You know, oh, man. You know, I've, I've been using them ever since we, ever since you brought this in here. But, uh, but probably the most uh, egregious example for us on this show was a company that we were attached to at one point uh, wanted to do this documentary, this mockumentary, pretending that mermaids were real. And a bunch of people, you know, believed this organization. And we did put our foot down and refused to really uh, in any way support that. Because we don't under, you know, we didn't, we didn't see a benefit in it, but the, the defense there, which was very tenuous, was going to be like, oh, well, this is clearly a mockumentary and this is clearly a satire. And it absolutely was not. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of like viral marketing. It's like trying to do what the Blair Witch Project did very cleverly, but you know, <laughs> they established this whole thing where, hey, maybe this is real, you know, mm-hmm. and like it makes you, it, it has this air of mystique about it. And then it makes you want to share it with your friends because you're the one who knew that it was real. And that's the same impulse that goes into sharing all these BS news stories. You want to be the one mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. is right. You want to be the one that that disseminates it because it supports something that you want to believe or something right. that you have espoused yourself on your page, mm-hmm. on your Facebook page. Oh, this supports everything that I've been saying. Well, and also there's another thing that's even more that I, I totally agree. And it's more dangerous because we all have this drive. It's the human drive to be the authority in the room, the Prometheus bringing the fire the Moses with the commandments, the Lucifer with the light, to be the one who says, not only does this agree with what I, I believe, but look upon me, my internet friends, I have led you to wisdom. And that's a very dangerous thing. I remember feeling that in my 20s. Hard. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. That's how I feel every time a celebrity dies. And I, I, I want to be the one that breaks the news. <laughs> oh, is that wow. messed up? Dude, it really is. <laughs> you want to be? It really is. <laughs> I'm kidding, you guys. Uh, just before we get off of satire, really fast, yeah. I'm on theonion.com, and here I'm just going to read one of their headlines because it fits this so perfectly. All right. Longtime reader of libslaves.info, sick of mainstream bias on sites like wideawakepatriot.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love Ouch. it. I love it. Yeah, that's the thing. It goes it goes both ways. And I found some interesting statistics about uh the percentages of I guess the the percentages of politically identified splinter sites doing this mm-hmm. and they're distressingly high. Yeah. I feel like this is a pretty decent spot to take a quick break. How about you guys? Yeah, totally. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back, but we're not in the normal place that we were earlier. Nope. Changed, changed spots. It's very different in here. Still in the windowless tornado shelter bunker place. Yes, but mentally, mentally now we were talking about something and now we're finally inside it and you're in here with us folks. Listen and you can hear the internet echo chamber, chamber. Chamber. We got real meta while you were away, and now we are kind of like stacked inside of each other like Matryoshka dolls, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we're going to communicate as one single organism from this point on. I'm going to stop saying check this out and start saying click this. Uh, so, click this on. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, here's the big question, though, that we, we should definitely address. Why do people make fake news? And there are a couple of different reasons. Why do people do most things? Because they want to make money. They want to make a quick buck. Or entertain themselves. Or entertain themselves or others, you know, and get a quick buck. Um, but I, I digress. Uh, NPR did what I thought was one of the coolest pieces of, you know, we talked about the lack of investigative journalism in our day and age. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was a pretty fine example of that. So a couple of NPR producers um, with some assistance traced some prominent fake news URLs. Uh such as, and I love this because this is something you can really see for yourself if you're on Facebook and mm-hmm. you see a suspicious site. Check out what the actual URL is. So they looked at the URLs, nationalreport.net, usatoday.com.co, washingtonpost.com.co. And all of these URLs all pointed to a single a, a rented server um, that's owned by Amazon – who does a ton of web hosting and, you know, high level cloud storage and, you know, things like that. And they were able to find an email address. The NPR producer, Laura Seidel and, uh, an intern, I believe, Mm -hmm. um, went and found this person's address and knocked on his door. And at first he answered. Yeah. But like pretended yeah. he didn't know what they were talking, talking about. about. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Did you bother me? And um, they, you know, I guess slipped a card under his door and he had a change of heart and gave them a call. And his reason for doing the fake news site, um, he did talk a lot about how he makes a decent living um, somewhere between 10 and $30,000 a month. Whoa. Not too bad. It was just him and, and his wife, you know, in a suburban Los Angeles home. That's that's, that's oh. not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. That's real good, actually. Yeah, it's real because, good. Because, I mean, you know, they're paying freelance writers a pittance, I'm mm-hmm. sure, to mm-hmm. churn out these stories and, you know, a, a couple of social media folks here and there, but not a hugely costly operation in terms of overhead. So that's those pretty good returns. Um, but what did he say, Ben? What was his reasoning behind, besides uh, making right. that cash? No, you're, you're asking me on this one because you know that I frankly don't believe it. Uh, so he, he claims that 
he had uh, done this because he wanted to out the essentially the credulity of people that he did not politically agree with. So a lot of the stories that were published on these sites were what you can think of as red meat, you know, stories where people would say, oh, I always knew that Barack Obama was a bad character. And now, like Prometheus, like Lucifer, like Moses, I am the smartest in the room. I'm bringing you this knowledge online. And he said he doesn't believe in that, but he was amazed the first time he did it how crazily well it worked because a, a completely fictitious story that he made up went viral and then some uh, uh local legislature began to like put a bill out based on worries created by this story one headline mentioned in the story was fbi agents suspected in hillary email leaks found dead and apparent murder suicide um kohler admitted the story is completely false uh but just the same, was shared on Facebook over half a million times. Jeez, there was another one about uh, people in Colorado using food stamps to buy weed. And so, and what actually happened Outrage! in real life, uh, a state representative in the House of Colorado pre- proposed actual legislation to prevent people from doing I so. I think that's, yeah, I think that was the one I, uh, I had heard. But, you know, that brings up another question. Maybe it's for a different episode, but... You can use food stamps to buy butter, right? EBT, electronic banking stuff. So could use it to buy steak. Yeah, couldn't you buy? Couldn't you buy like hemp butter or weed butter or whatever? Hmm. This ain't Colorado, Ben. Oh yeah, not here, not here. Obviously, not here on the internet. In on haunts in the echo chamber, chamber, chamber. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's interesting because that's a motivation for making the fake news. This guy. Uh, would have us believe that he is more on a um, crusade of sorts or, a, you know, he's on a mission where money is nice but doesn't completely compel it. However, there was another uh, piece. This was by the New York Times. I know I've mentioned them several times in the show. Uh, luckily, I, I still have this article up without exceeding my 10 because full disclosure, I too, um, I'm going to get a subscription one day. Uh, so in Blisi, Georgia, the country, Georgia, different Georgia across the Atlantic, a computer science student at the premier university there, uh, decided that he could make money from America's appetite for partisan political news. So he set up a website and he posted stories that were gushing stories about how great Hillary Clinton was. And he waited for ad sales to, to soar, but it didn't work. So this student whose name is Becca, uh, Labidze, uh, was only 22 at the time. And he said, you know, what does drive traffic stories that, uh, applaud Donald Trump while mixing real and fake news that's anti Hillary Clinton. And so he started making money from, from that. And for him, it was entirely out of a, a, a profit motive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. For national, he didn't seem to parent, to really have a horse in the game for either candidate, except in so much as they might be an income source for him. So he would get this, you guys, he would often cut and paste. Like, not rewrite, not rephrase. He would just cut and paste stuff he found other places and then put it as a news, Jeez. uh, news headline. And, uh, 
then he ran into a guy named John Egan who was in Canada and he had a satirical site and maybe this is closer to what we were comparing earlier. He had a satirical site called the Burridge Street Journal. Um, so it was not trying to fool anyone and his opinion was satirical. He called it a gold mine, but this guy in Georgia starts cutting and pasting the satirical stuff, putting it with these real fake news things and boom, a monster has grown. Uh, and this, this is happening so often that it is, if you are on Facebook, it is statistically, it, it's darn near impossible. It's very unlikely that you have not seen one of these things. And you shouldn't feel bad if you saw one and, and fell for it before. You know, I, I have read stuff before where I caught myself at the headline or I caught myself at the byline and said, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Who is it? Ben Bolin stinks dot blogspot dot org. <laughs> uh oh. You know. just created that. Somebody just oh, created gosh, that. You're right. I, oh, you might want to. It's too late. <laughs> okay. It's out of the bag. So how does this echo chamber work? We talked about this a little bit before, but what, what's happening when, when, um, let's say, Nolan, I, Matt share a story that, that is true. Let's say we have a true one. Okay. Uh, so many social media sites, uh, and enterprises like Hulu or some other cable providers, they want their users to have a good time, to be highly engaged, clicking left and right. And, you know, also click, click, hit, hit, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, cough, cough <laughs> to buy stuff when you're hanging out with them. So they know, for example, What's like a random person's name? Real or fake? Random person. Gregory. Okay. What's Gregory's last name? Trumbull. Okay. So, so they know, for example, that Gregory Trumbull tends to click on stories that concern puppies, Russia, underwear, or whatever. And so they'll tend to display other stuff or prioritize that in their algorithm related to that. Uh, you know, puppies, Russia, underwear, or whatever. Uh, but they'll also find other users who like puppies, Russia, underwear, or whatever, and say, well, what do they like? And if it turns out that they also like, I don't know, Big League Chew or custom, um, what's something dumb? Cut Custom beach sand, snowshoes. And, and <laughs> I don't know. Sand shoes? Sand shoes, yeah. And, uh, and then he'll just start getting ads for those, and you might be like, well, why is this happening? This gets dangerous when it's brought to bear on topics other than cute animals or consumerism. So it's touched on world news, politics, perceptions of science, and so on. It can put some serious limits on the scope of our worldviews. I mean, I'm sure that my worldview is, is, is relatively limited just because I largely, I, I overwhelmingly read the internet in English, read things online in English mm -hmm. rather than other uh other languages and i probably have some some pretty crazy viewpoints that just seem normal to me and that's the other thing that's the mind-blowing thing it's completely possible it's completely possible and completely like you said normal to you so you are going to have a hard time knowing that you're inside this bubble right or at least see you can't see the bubble yeah, I might be thinking something odd like i might be very offended by the fact that goats don't wear pants 
And in my world, because I've spent time looking at that and they've built this profile of me, they'll, they'll be like, look at, you know, I'll have mm-hmm. fake news articles about it or something. And even in like a Facebook situation, you know, sometimes people will kind of call their friends list if they start seeing too much stuff that exists outside of that bubble, which let's be honest, sometimes we've got, we know we've got some relatives maybe or some friends mm-hmm. we haven't seen in a long mm-hmm. time that we're Facebook friends with who post some things that we find offensive maybe like or just goats. We're just kind of stupid. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we want, we don't want to see that anymore. So right. maybe you don't unfriend them, but you can kind of hide those posts. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes we do it when faced with things that directly oppose our own viewpoints. And maybe that's not such a good thing. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I think I, you know, we saw that happening a lot recently, uh, in, in the U.S. We think we know better though is the issue. We think we don't need this because we know what we believe. I got it figured out, guys. <laughs> I got it figured out. All right. But that, that's true. And imagine, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, imagine a world where liking an article by Al Jazeera, the nation. In a world where liking an article by Al Jazeera and the nation. Perfect. Uh, means that you will only see articles relating to that publication or the interest of people who like that publication. You're going to be less and less likely to understand the other side of a story or opposing perspective or maybe even hear about it. You know what I mean? Uh, so there's the problem is that there's proven psychology behind this. There's an excellent thing I'd like to talk about called the backfire effect. So there's this misconception that when confronted by information that challenges our existing views, we as human beings will uh, incorporate this, we'll learn from it, we'll move forward, and we'll be better prepared to confront the world around us because we're all smart, right? Yeah, we're all, uh, we're, we've all pretty much got it, got it figured out. Uh, like Fox Mulder, we all search for the truth. We want that over, uh, we want ugly truth over a, a pretty lie. However, that's incorrect. Yeah, we want to believe that the Socratic method is alive and well and we all use it and we're good to go, right? But Mm -hmm. no, 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 my friends. What actually happens when we see something that uh, contradicts our worldview, the one that we hold true and dear and close to our hearts? Well, (laughs) oh, spoiler alert, we double down. Yeah, (laughs) we go, nah, brother. I know what's what. We take our opinions and we turn them into a delicious sandwich made of two deep-fried chicken cutlets. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Just check out the YouTube comments on our Flat Earth video. Yes. You guys do remember the double down, right? Yes. I love the double down. Never, I've never had it. I never I, had the pleasure. I have this problem where I fall in love with ideas of things instead of actual things, and I was obsessed by the idea of the double down. This is here. Here's the worst part. You guys know I don't really talk about it in personal life. One time after after we had recorded a bunch of stuff and I was almost by myself in the office, I printed out a picture of a double down and like <laughs> took took it with me. <laughs> you should print out another picture of the Cheetos covered chicken fries from Burger King. Doesn't that sound delicious? Dorito tacos as well. Mm. This turned into a different show. <laughs> 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 uh yes yeah we we do uh we do we we take the uh we take the double down approach which uh is not healthy in no. uh, any sense of the word uh so for instance you know if i um if if i believed that 
mineral water caused, uh, yeah, if I believe that mineral water caused some sort of strange cancer, uh, and I was convinced it did, and then my relatives told me I was crazy, and they sent me this thing that said, here's a study that objectively proves that there's no carcinogenic material in there, uh, then I would instead say I would find a problem with it. Like, oh, yeah. well, you're the, oh, they're in the pocket of Big Perrier. You These know? scientists are paid, son. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we've got, uh, there was a great, there was a great article on this a backfire effect from a website called You Are Not So Smart, which is not the nicest name, but they've <laughs> got some great stuff in there. And, uh, we'd like to read an excerpt from it for you. In 2006, Brendan Nyhan and Jason Reifler at the University of Michigan and Georgia State University, what, what? Sorry, I'm just calling out where I went to school. Created fake newspaper articles about polarizing political issues. The articles were written in a way which would confirm a widespread misconception about certain ideas in American politics. So as soon as a person read a fake article, researchers then handed over a true article which corrected the first one. For instance, one article suggested that the United States found weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. The next said the U.S. never found them, and that second one was the truth. Those who opposed the war who had strong liberal leanings tended to disagree with the original article and accept the second. Those who supported the war and leaned a little more towards the conservative camp tended to agree with the first article and strongly disagree with the second. And these these reactions, they shouldn't surprise you. What should maybe give you just a little dash of pause is how conservatives felt about the correction. Uh, after reading that there were no WMDs, they reported being even more certain than before there actually were WMDs and their original beliefs were correct. The double down. Yes, the double down, the dangerous double down. And look, if you, if, if you think of yourself as a more conservative person or if your political ideology is very important to you, don't feel attacked. This is an example of a mechan, of a bio, almost a biomechanical mm-hmm. process, a neurocognitive process that occurs to all people, the really, really left leaning, the really, really right leaning, the centrist, the people who don't care about politics. There's going to be something in their lives that uh, that makes them double down like this. And what's troubling about this, what this means is that whether the talk is of farm animals wearing pants, whether it's politics, whether it's Perrier, despite our best intentions and possibly self and possibly overinflated self-regard, we don't tend to fact check things that already agree with or further our existing world view. And this happens when people move too. Like take the, um, take an area of, like San Francisco is a pretty liberal place, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody moves from San Francisco and lives in uh, a very conservative area for a certain amount of time, then slowly over time, their views tend to uh, align just because there's some psychological part, some tribal part of us that says you got to root for the home team. And uh, it's a scary thing. Uh, like if you think candidate A in an election is already a thief, you're way closer to just getting slippery sloped into a little worse and worse and worse stuff about him until until all of a sudden one day you're like, oh, devil baby. Yeah. Yep. That Obviously. Check, that checks out. Obviously. 
It all comes back around to the Trump devil, baby. <laughs> but just wait until you see a story that you disagree with. You'll fact check that bad boy to the moon and back. <laughs> yeah. Washington Post, what a propaganda thing. New York Times, what a propaganda thing. Fox News, well, you know, they're a bunch of shills, right? <laughs> and so on and so yeah. on. Um, and we've seen these internet arguments when people don't do this. This makes me think, uh, that we should mention, should make an important distinction here between Fake news and propaganda. Ooh, the P word. Mm-hmm. The other P. <laughs> Are you down with OPP? Yeah. Yeah, you know me. That's that's what Bernays said. He was famously clo- quoted as saying, I'm going to grab him by the propaganda. Yep. yep. <laughs> so uh, the problem with propaganda is that it's everywhere. All, all countries do it. You know, I'm, uh, Al Jazeera does some solid research, but they'll get shut down when they do stuff about Yemen. They're based in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not really going to hear the BBC doing its due diligence, in my opinion, on a lot of things in British politics. Uh, and Russia or uh, Russian Times, I think now exclusively called RT, is going to be, you know, kind of slanted when it comes to stuff in the U.S. But uh, But the point here is that Propaganda is meant to persuade a larger segment of a population to support something, whereas a lot of fake news is looking for a specific thing, right? Um, they know that Matt Frederick already loves Orange Fanta, so ugh, I I do, but ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that would be aimed, you know, a lot of the fake news is a little more specific in, in its mindset. And Ron Paul came out, uh, mm-hmm. recently and said that, uh, the, the U.S. government was responsible for a lot of fake news. Well, yeah. And that's that line between propaganda and fake news. And where, where does it lie? Where is the line between fake news and av- advertorials? That let's say CNN will produce for a for a country. Well, I, I can tell you the line isn't. I mean, propaganda is basically state sponsored, whereas fake news is a bunch of just individual kind of rogue internet entrepreneurs trying to make some cash while maybe steering an election. Well, propaganda can also be uh, corporate sponsored. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it being state sponsored though is, is probably one of the bigger definitions. Mm. Yeah. And I like that you make that point. And I've had this conversation before. A lot of people are under the impression that the United States does not, uh, do domestic propaganda. For a long time, there was a law preventing them from doing that. That law or that practice, that policy has since been repealed, abolished. It's gone. So it is completely legal for the federal government to exercise propaganda domestically. Did they do it before? Sure. Of course. Of course. I'm sure. Uh, but are they doing it now? <laughs> yeah, man. Now more than ever. Well, I mean, one could argue that like a communications director for a particular branch of the government is essentially their head propagandist. I mean, they're the ones that are writing the narrative that they want to steer the story with. Now, it doesn't mean that they can control what journalists write, 
But the principle is still there. It's all about like we want to own the narrative of whether it's something bad, maybe it's something good, maybe it's something good they've done, but there's a detail they don't want people to know about as much, so they don't put that. They bury the lead. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just yeah. I'm saying the, the the machine is there. It's just not. It's it's a little more. You know, we're living in a society of, of free press, and thank God for that. But it, a couple clicks away. Yeah. We might not be there anymore. Yeah, that's a great point. Like the same factories that make cars can be turned into factories that make bombs or tanks. So the mechanism is there, just as you said. That's kind of spooky when you think about it that way. We do know, of course. Going to open up those libel laws. Yeah, open. (laughs) But Uh, can he, though? Yeah. Topic for another day. Yeah, yeah. okay. Is right. there a libel law to open yeah. up? Again, just in case, I apologize to the Gwinnett Picayune. Well, technically, I'd be doing slander. Wouldn't I be committing slander if it's spoken? You're fine. I did several searches. The closest <laughs> thing I could find was the Times Picayune okay. uh, and uh, a couple small Gwinnett papers that I won't mention. Well, are there any papers that are not owned by Illumination Global Unlimited? And what is a Picayune? So many questions to answer. You so guys. many questions. Well, we do want to point out just uh, some other things here. Uh, so yes, these are not conspiracy theories. They're active conspiracists working online either for themselves, for personal profit, for their government, for their, uh, corporate overlord. Or just for lulls. Or just for lulls, just to troll you. Or uh, 10 to $30,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> Matt keeps making this face. We bring that up. But, but our point being that these people are trying to deceive you, to trick you, to exploit a, um, to exploit a neurochemical, neurocognitive, uh, vulnerability in every human brain. And it's not a, um, it's not a situation that's always easy to see, and it's not a situation where the bad guys are the same people every time. So we do know that some stories are genuinely suppressed. Of course, Facebook got in trouble for actively suppressing mm-hmm. some stories. Uh, and then we do know that there are stories that are advertised by their supporters as being suppressed, right? They don't want you to know the truth about the flat earth. Here's a question, though. Are we entitled to complete and total freedom of expression on the Internet? Like Facebook might get dinged, you know, from a philosophical standpoint for suppressing certain stories. But who says that they aren't allowed to do that? Right. If it's a private sandbox, too. And who says that they are required to not... um Like the New York Times should be required not to publish... Uh, fake stories, right? But Facebook is very different. It's an aggregator. So what is their due diligence? I think that's a very good question. You know, to what, what response to them to define those parameters mm-hmm. based on how much ill will they think they're getting as a result of the way they're behaving. It's a PR move. Right. And then ideally, wouldn't they, ideally, wouldn't history tell us that if that doesn't work, a competitor would arise that would have more curated powers or something, and then that would have a backlash. I don't know. I think these are great questions because we have, we do have to ask ourselves how much responsibility can we put on a third party entity? Gonna go out on the, gonna go out on a limb and say most of us have not met Mark Zuckerberg, right? So how much of that responsibility should be with 
our own actions. I met Bill Gates. You did meet Bill Gates. That's true, you guys. Noel Brown met Bill Gates. What? Wait, you you got to talk with him? Yeah. Oh, that's he cool. said it was we're cool. Say, yeah, right? We're in a tiny little hotel room. I did. I went with Josh and Chuck for stuff you should know, and got to <clears throat> set up audio stuff, and uh, it was pretty crazy. Uh, but I digress. No, but like, no. The, I think the the burden of the burden should be on the individual yes. to use their thinking noggin caps and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, maybe I shouldn't believe everything that I read on the internet, especially." An aggregate, like an aggregator, like Facebook. Maybe mm-hmm. I should do my own research and not just sit back and have this stuff just like wash over me and just believe it because it makes me feel cool or it makes me feel good that I'm the one who's sharing it. Yeah. What do you think about? I, I, I think that kids should be taught media literacy at a young age. And when we say media literacy, you know, it goes beyond learning to read. It's the stuff we've been talking about, like seeing the the sources that people should check, uh, having the personal responsibility to say, like, again, I keep going back to this example, but for me to say, like, yeah, you know, personally, I think goats should wear pants, and that's normal for people like me, but let me see what these goat nudist think like to find these opposing viewpoints and another thing we've talked about before like the way people fall into buzzwords the way we live in a world that wants its explanations simple high level quick and most importantly less than five minutes long and dirty and dirty simple quick and dirty <laughs> uh so uh we we also think another way to guard against fake news is to support journalism. There are some great places like ProPublica, which are nonprofit, nonpartisan journalistic so cool. outfits. Yeah, and uh, the thing is that the real hard nosed journalists, you know them because they have a wealth of enemies on both sides of most stories. <laughs> yep. And ProPublica has, you know, has not pulled punches where some other places would have. So I, I would recommend uh, checking out some of their stuff if you're interested in supporting journalism. And, of course, you know, if we wanted to be more preachy, we would tell people to go out and support their local papers. But I don't know how you feel about that. Or subscribe to The New York Times. Well, and then other people will tell you, though, that the New York Times is worthless. Pennies a day. Pennies a day. <laughs> but people will tell you it's worthless, uh, and it's, it's, it's definitely more worthwhile when you have two different, th- you have two different sources to compare. I think what maybe is, is, is coming here is that we need a new model for journalism because, you know, clearly people aren't paying because they expect everything to be free. And I'm not saying that's good. I think it's kind of crappy, but it just is. So what's the new model? Maybe it is something like ProPublica or like NPR where you have, you know, contributors. Maybe you don't buy a subscription, but you do, you know, some sort of pledge drive. I don't know how you do it exactly, but I think important news, as we know from NPR, the fact that they continue to exist and do interesting work and do all this podcast and stuff and they're completely, you know, member supported or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to actually ask you about this. You you have a thought that you were going to finish and I'm sorry. But I want to jump in because NPR is not completely listener supported. Okay, that's uh, and their state, they are the like the news of the state of the nation. That's true. But if we're talking about individual um, regional branches of NPR, mm-hmm. public radio, a lot of that does come from you know listener support, and okay. they do receive a portion of their funding from NPR mm-hmm. proper. But I mean, it is. 
you know, it's not completely self It's more grassroots than, than a lot of places. All I'm uh, saying is I think people want that, and I just wonder yeah. what the model is to make that possible without it being a for-profit model. I, I, I don't know. Well, I'm here's just, what here's what the model is now, if we're being honest. Here's what it's trending toward now. It's trending toward a world where every single individual believes that they are somehow obligated to be continually reporting their lives, right? We have become the surveillance state we were warned about for decades and centuries before, and the people, so every person, in a world where every person is kind of a journalist, right, with their own stance, you know, a a protest breaks out, and then the first way you hear about it is through Twitter or Instagram with a bunch of people locally posting things. Then the folks who become the gatekeepers or the arbiters of what that information is, the people who are serving the higher level functions of a journalist or replacing it are those aggregators, the Twitters, the Facebooks, and so on. And the way that they decide the display, I personally believe that's a very dangerous model because it leads to suppression of stuff. You know what I mean? It can lead to suppression and it can also lead to witch hunting and, uh, you know, not having all the facts gathered. And one more thing before we head out for the week to get uh, back to our various non-sketchy pursuits. Shout out corners. First shout out today comes from Facebook. Hi, Matt and Ben and the rest of the crew. Dirk from Belgium here. Just to make clear, STGWYTK is also popular across the big pond. That is really good to know. I love things across the big pond. First of all, thanks for the great podcast. Uh, big fan, he says. As you mentioned, you'd like to suggest some topics for podcasts below or some curious stories that might interest your listeners. Number one, Operation Vula, an underground anti-apartheid network and its story about secure communications. I don't know this one. Do you guys? No. Uh, actually, no, a lot of these are new and exciting to me. We've got Jack Barsky, an East German spy with a double family life trying to make his career in the U.S. Nothing. Got to check this one out. And then finally, we have Castle Fjordstein, or how a German WW2 scientist built a castle to develop all kinds of technology with a curious post-war career involving intelligence services and the NSA. I hope this stuff might bring some inspiration for a future podcast. Keep up the nice work. Hey, thanks so much for, uh, thanks so much for writing in, Dirk. Uh, a lot of, we didn't read all of their topics, but a lot of these are pretty fascinating. He's got links attached too. Putting them on that Google calendar mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our next shout out is from Misty T. Misty says, looking around online for toothpaste that remineralizes enamel. I found that toothpaste containing Novamin actually does that. Sensodyne Repair and Protect is the leading brand in many other countries. It contains Novamin, but it's also not allowed here in the U.S. The FDA made it nearly impossible to get into the country and only allowed GSK to sell it in the U.S. because the active ingredient had been changed from Novamin to Stannis Fluoride. I'd be interested to know what you guys could find out. Yeah, anything about fluoride I'm interested in. Yeah, and also, I, you know, years ago I read this science fiction story this dystopian thing about this guy who invents a, um, they called it a dentifrice and all you had to do was take it once and your teeth would be immune to decay for life. Well, it's a science fiction story. Bad for business, and it was, man. Yeah, it was about how essentially evil, this evil group of dentists came to, uh, overthrow him and kill him. And it ends, spoiler alert, with him pouring the dentifrice down the sink. Excellent story. Wow. Um, 
But Misty, uh, this, this is a topic that would be a lot of fun to look into. Finally, we have a message from Charlie. Charlie says, Hey guys, absolutely love what you do, but there's a running sort of reference that's immensely intriguing to me. The implications of Ben's demonic heritage. It makes me wonder, though, are your co-workers outside of stuff they don't want you to know aware of the potential danger? I envision maybe the co-host of Car Stuff, Scott Benjamin, making a friendly bet or wager and having no idea the real ramifications of the deal. The possible motivations behind laying this sort of storyline sets the imagination aflame as well. I imagine the sparse references and vague nature of the atmosphere being created as intentional. But I always end an episode with these references nearly salivating for more. I am desperate to understand the conclusion to these happenings. I hope this hasn't been as confusing to read as I fear it might, but I'm deeply curious about Ben's involvement with the topic. So, Ben. No comment. All right. Well, that's the show. If you want to reach us on Facebook or Twitter, we are Conspiracy Stuff at both of those. You can find us on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you want to uh, watch our videos, go to YouTube, Conspiracy Stuff. You can also check out our fake news site at conspiracystuffandthings.biz.co.uk.co. See, again, we have to make that now. But hey, if fake news isn't your bag and you want to send out something to us directly, and uh, we will uh, see that thing, uh, you can reach us by email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.